Right, I'm doing my job, and I perceive marks in the snow which I affirm are human footprints. You know, even at this altitude, how restless and eager the brain is. How vividly, as you told me, you dream at night. Multiply that stimulus and that consequent eagerness and restlessness by three, and how natural that the brain should harbour illusions. What, after all, is the delirium which often accompanies high fever? but the effort of the brain to do its work under the pressure of feverish conditions. It is so eager to continue perceiving that it perceives things which have no existence. And yet you don't think that these naked human footprints were illusions, said I. You told me you would have thought so if you had not known better. He shifted in his chair and looked out of the window a moment. The air was thick now with the density of the big snowflakes that were driven along by the squealing northwest gale. Quite so, he said. In all probability, the human footprints were real human footprints. I expect they were the footprints, anyhow, of a being more nearly a man than anything else. My reason for saying so is that I know such beings exist. I've even seen, quite near at hand, and I assure you I did not wish to be nearer, in spite of my intense curiosity, the creature, shall we say, which would make such footprints, and if the snow was not so dense I could show you the place where I saw him. He pointed straight out of the window, where across the valley lies the huge tower of the Ungerheuerhorn, with the carved pinnacle of rock at the top like some gigantic rhinoceros horn. On one side only, as I knew, was the mountain practicable, and that for none but the finest climbers. On the other three, a succession of ledges and precipices rendered it unscalable. Two thousand feet of sheer rock formed the tower, below were five hundred feet of fallen boulders, up to the edge of which grow dense woods of larch and pine. Upon the Ungerheuerhorn, I asked. Yes. Up till twenty years ago it had never been ascended, and I, like several others, spent a lot of time in trying to find a route up it. My guide and I sometimes spent three nights together at the hut beside the Blumen Glacier, prowling round it, and it was by luck really that we found the route, for the mountain looks even more impracticable from the far side than it does from this. But one day we found a long traverse fissure in the side, which led to a negotiable ledge. Then there came a slanting ice couloir, which you could not see till you got to the foot of it. However, I need not go into that. The big room where we sat was filling up with cheerful groups, driven indoors by this sudden gale and snowfall, and the cackle of merry tongues grew loud. The band, too, that invariable appanage of tea time at Swiss resorts, had begun to tune up for the usual potpourri from the works of Puccini. Next moment, the sugary, sentimental melodies began. Strange contrast, said Ingram. Here we are, sitting warm and cosy, our ears pleasantly tickled with these little baby tunes, and outside is the great storm, growing more violent every moment, and swirling round the austere cliffs of the Ungerheuerhorn, the horror horn as indeed it was to me. I want to hear all about it, I said. Every detail. Make a short story long if it's short. I want to know why it's your horror horn. Well, Chanton and I, he was my guide, used to spend days prowling about the cliffs, making a little progress on one side, 
and then being stopped, and gaining perhaps five hundred feet on another side, and then being confronted by some insuperable object, till the day when by luck we found the route. Chanton never liked the job, for some reason that I could not fathom. It was not because of the difficulty or danger of the climbing, for he was the most fearless man I have ever met when dealing with rocks and ice. But he was always insistent that we should get off the mountain and back to the Blumen hut before sunset. It was scarcely easy, even when we had got back to shelter and locked and barred the door. And I well remember one night, when, as we ate our supper, we heard some animal, a wolf probably, howling somewhere out in the night. A positive panic seized him, and I don't think he closed his eyes till morning. It struck me then that there might be some grisly legend about the mountain, connected possibly with its name, and next day I asked him...